it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 1 866 408 7669. I just got some uh, good news, I guess, for the economy. We had a 253,000 jobs. I thought about 180,000. Uh, so that's good. The unemployment goes to 3.4%, which is fine. Uh, and a great low. Um, I want to see the workforce level. I want to see how many people are actually participating uh, in the workforce. Hopefully it's getting closer to 70. But here's the thing. The uh, Fed keep has 10 straight times the Fed has raised interest rates. They will stop raising it when they feel as though the economy is slowing down. This is not good news if you don't want high interest rates. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This letter shows, this email between two CIA directors to try to create a political outcome in an election. 51 people signed this letter without an iota or shred of evidence that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Uh, That is John Solomon reporting something with just stunning. Details emerge, methods and practices used by Mike Morrell at the behest of who seems to be the Deputy Secretary of State then, Anthony Blinken, to get the 51 Intel experts to sign off that that laptop was Russian disinformation. Parentheses, it was not. Why would they do that? To affect the debate that was happening the next night. How do we know that? Because the text messages are there. It gave Joe Biden a great attack line. It neutralized and, uh, and sidelined reality and stopped Trump from attacking temporarily. And I don't think the moderator helped either. That really affected the election. You want to talk about affecting the election? That affected the election. Number two. Something needs to give. Um, it would be nice if he just uh, enforced the law using a law that Bill Clinton signed into law, uh, which allows for the Border Patrol to do what's called expedited removal. Yeah, well, that's when a Democrat thought it was a good idea to seal the border. Remember that? It's about to blow. I'm talking about the border at Title 42 is set to end in days. Thousands already streaming in. They say it's already happening. A Hail Mary save is proposed by Cinema and Tillers. We'll talk about it. Your move, Joe. Number one. I do want to acknowledge how horrific it was to view a video of Jordan Neely being killed uh, for being a passenger on our subway trains. No one has the right to take the life of another person. Unbelievable. It's totally irresponsible. Governor, she's absolutely awful. No question, she's got it backwards. This guy's a hero. How I characterize the Marine who grabbed the crazed maniac on a New York subway and didn't stop the New York governor and protesters for calling a 20, the 24-year-old a murderer. They want a George Floyd riot. Everyday New Yorkers need to stand up. This can't happen. To set the scene again, earlier this week, on 2.30 in the afternoon on the F train, a maniac that's been arrested, we find out, 44 times. The last time he spent time in jail was for punching a woman in the face uh, who was not even looking and causing permanent brain damage. Was uh, schizophrenic, according to the family. Started screaming, throwing garbage on a subway train. So this 24-year-old put him in a uh, sub- submission hold. Evidently, it was a chokehold. Sadly, Jordan Keneally, the 30-year-old, died. We don't know what happened in between. But it was strong enough and he was out of control enough that two other people held his arms for a second. 
So when it's done, it's done. Except for the Marines white and Keeley Neely is black. So obviously it's a racial issue. Sarcastically, I say. We don't know the toxicity of the blood of the deceased. We don't know the, we have the eyewitnesses who said this guy was totally out of control. I have witnessed, I'm on that train regularly, on that very train. And when I don't have things to do in the afternoon, I have a quick meeting, and I'm on a 2.30 train to get to a 2.30 Penn Station train. So I'm on, I'm on that subway almost every day for a lot of times. And it is, there's always a maniac. At least once a week, there's somebody on there either passed out without a shirt on or belligerent. And believe me, I'm sure that's going to come out as long as some activist doesn't want to lie. 27 people have died in the subway since 2020. 27. Some of these people like Akeem Looney, a street soccer player who happens to be homeless. He was murdered by a stranger while he slept. Claudine Roberts stabbed to death while she slept on the subway coming back from work. Simon Marshall killed Michelle Goh. Because he doesn't like Asian people on the subway. We've seen this horrific video of people being thrown on the tracks, cutting off just in time. Other video of a woman who was thrown into a wall, leaving a subway en route to work, and doesn't have any vision in her eye. When a guy came to help, he was quickly turned around. So no one came to help. Cops were late because they're understaffed. And they've been basically told, don't do your job. Eric Adams liked these comments. Cut three. Well, uh, both the Congress congr- Congresswoman and uh, the controller, uh, the controller is a citywide leader. And I don't think that's very responsible at the time where we're still investigating the situation. Let's let the DA uh, conduct his investigation with the law enforcement officials uh, to really interfere with that is not the right thing to do. And I'm going to be responsible and allow them to do their job and allow them to determine exactly what happened here. Why not? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. But listen to this uh, this woman who has no business being governor, the accidental governor who should never have been reelected. Cut one. I do want to acknowledge how horrific it was to view a video of Jordan Neely being killed uh, for being a passenger on our subway trains. Can we just pause that for a second? Jordan Keeley being killed for being a passenger on the subway train? Are you insane? Everybody says he was acting belligerent, schizophrenic, with a history of violence in su- in subways. And you make that comment, killed for being on a subway train? I just read to you different examples of innocent people being stabbed and harassed. Our own weathercaster was, uh, saw a woman being beat up. She jumped in, and he gets beat up for about four stops. That's what happens when you interfere. They have no interest. They find the guys. They don't even press charges. But now you're going to press charges against the Marine who saw a situation get out of control and didn't shoot, didn't stab, didn't punch, put him in a hold. Sadly, didn't look like he can breathe, died. But listen to some of these people are saying. His own cousin, his own aunt, I should say, Carolyn Keeley, says aunt. I was crying for medical help for my nephew, but everything was about insurance. Doctors knew his condition. He needed to be treated. He wasn't a bad person. He just needed better help from doctors who didn't give him help. I was really frustrated. I didn't know what to do anymore. He has told people before that he is a schizophrenic. He's had many dozens of run-ins with the police due to mental health issues. 
part of a lengthy history of instability that was tragically never remedied. In some cases, Neely told cops he was schizophrenic and hadn't taken his meds. Other times, a 30-year-old complained to officers of stomach pains who were told he was suicidal. He screamed on this train, according to the passengers, I don't care if I die, I don't care if I go back to prison, and started screaming on top of his lungs. He had accepted help from the Bowery Residence Committee via the New York City Department of Homeless at times through 2020. But one thing is clear, Neely never got the help he needed. Fine. But when they don't get the help, are we supposed to just get beat up, harassed, stabbed? This just represents everything wrong with the city. Guess what they were doing? Organized protests. I'm sure they're all getting paid. Cut four. We got something for y'all. New York City is going to be a very uncomfortable place. If we don't get Jordan, if we don't get justice for Jordan Neely, civil disobedience, whatever we got to do, take it to the streets, shake it up, tear it up, whatever we got to do to make them get the point. That is one of the, uh, it sounds like Hawk Newsom from Black Lives Matter, uh, but we, yeah, whatever happened to them. So they're going to tear stuff up and burn stuff down because some lunatic got choked out because he was going to threaten people on a subway train. Here's more. Cut five. Okay, you got it. You got the the sense? Heather McDonald's got a brand new book out about all this. She was on with me last week on One Nation. She's going to be joining me talking about black and white and the reality on crime and what's happening on our subways. I told you about some of these different incidents. We've seen all the video. This guy stands up, does the right thing. Maybe he should have let go of the hold earlier. I don't know. We haven't got his side. Now we're going to wait on charges. I've been told that he's going to be charged. So the next time someone goes to stand up, they're not going to because they don't need their life ruined. When this guy's name gets out, his life's going to be severely altered. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Ocasio-Cortez, Bowman, Presley, and the rest of them, they've been calling for defunding the police for years. They've been, they've been calling for precisely the sort of situation that means that the public decide to look after themselves. But they also know that this country is only ever one bad interaction away from burning down again. We are only ever in America one bad police interaction away from riots in all the major cities. That is uh, Douglas Murray. Uh, he is weighing in on what AOC basically said that this guy who was uh, Jordan Neely was killed because he was just running on the subway and he's black. That's the indication from her tweet. Heather McDonald joins us now. She's uh, is the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute, New York Times bestselling author, her latest book, When Race Trumps Merit, uh, How the Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellence, Destroys Beauty, and Threatens Lives, joins us now. Heather, when you look at what's happening with the subway and the protests that happen, that they're trying to make this a George Floyd, too. Well, it's just absurd, Brian. This is not a race incident. 
And they're they're also making it a Ralph Yarl incident, uh, which was the boy who was shot in Kansas City, the 16-year-old, for uh, knocking and allegedly also pulling at somebody's door at 10 10 p.m. at night. We get this bathos that whites are the biggest threat facing blacks. Another black killed at the hands of a white man. That is a completely phony narrative that reverses the reality uh, that we live in today, Brian. Here's the here's the data. Uh, when you look at all interracial violence between blacks and whites and whites and blacks, blacks commit 87% of all interracial violence. So it's not it's not whites who are attacking blacks. Blacks are attacking blacks. That's how they die. And if you're going to look at interracial violence, it is overwhelmingly blacks attacking attacking whites. This incident represents a complete failure of our government to fulfill its most basic mission, which is allowing citizens to go about their lives free from fear, confident that the subways, the streets are not going to turn into violent zones. And, And this Marine was reacting to a very real threat. The combination of schizophrenia, which this guy had, and drugs, raises violence to very high degrees. New Yorkers have been living with subway pushings, people being pushed in front of trains, being attacked on subways by deranged vagrants, and it is not surprising that people are taking things into their own hands. So listen to what uh, AOC says. Uh, Jordan was houseless and crying for food in a time when the city is raising rents, stripping services to militarize itself. While many in power demonize the poor, the murderers get protected with passive headlines and no charges. Can you be a, have a more distorted view of reality? We're living in these fictions, Brian. We're supposed to go along with these fictions. And at some point, I hope, people are going to not take it any longer. This guy has a whole arrest record for drugs, disorderly conduct, assault. He was wanted on a warrant for an assault on a 67-year-old woman. Uh, you know, this. What, here's what the city is not doing. It is providing welfare. It is providing social service to billions of dollars. Our welfare agencies put out tens of billions of dollars of services. What we are not doing is enforcing the law. The vagrancy problem is solvable. Here's how you do it, Brian. You enforce the law. You say you are not allowed to colonize city streets or the subways. We are under this ridiculous constitutional mandate in this city to provide shelter to whoever asks. This is an extraordinary burden to taxpayers. But here's the deal. If that's our obligation, your obligation is to use it. You don't get to have this right to shelter and still decide to be vagrant and Mm -hmm. and colonizing public spaces and putting law-abiding people at risk. You enforce the law. You say you're not allowed to stay, sleep in the public, uh, you know, urinate, defecate in the public. You enforce the law, and people start making different choices. Right. Listen to what's going on in the streets. Cut five.
So, I mean, they're getting paid for this. There's nobody way they just organize like this. And this is a couple of days. Now they're going to do this all through the weekend. And they're going to start wrecking stuff. How long are we going to put up with that? Are we going to let the city be wrecked again? And, you know, you can hear, Brian, it's like fun for them. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's just, it's it's fun because they're living this wonderful, phony, false narrative that makes them feel self-righteous, that they're the only ones that are fighting against white racism. Again, this was not about race. If this had been a white guy that was threatening people after what New Yorkers have been through, the same thing would have happened. It had nothing to do with race. And yet we're all living this fiction that blacks are under threat from whites. Black, black juveniles are killed in gun homicide at 100 times the rate of whites. And virtually none of those black juveniles being killed in gun homicide are being killed by whites. They're being killed by each other. But we're all supposed to pretend, and all these whites go along with it, that, oh, yes, we are, we are such a threat to black lives. Say their names. Oh, come on. How many names has AOC said of black children who have been gunned down in drive-by shootings? None. None, Brian, because it None. doesn't fit the narrative. Right. Well, we know this. 27 murders in the subway since 2020. Uh, we have all these other people, uh, most of minorities, being stabbed while they were sleeping, wiped out because they were Asian, uh, thrown into walls because they were there. All these people are mentally ill. The shooters are mentally ill. Nivaldi, uh, the ones we saw, saw in Atlanta, they're all mentally ill. So that gives them a pass. So you have a Marine sit there and say, I could see a bunch of victims here. I'll put them in a, uh, a suppression hold. And it ends up being a chokehold. They're going to find out what was in this guy's blood, but even his own family knows he's a problem. There is a, this conventional wisdom is, Heather, he's going to be charged. Do you, do you agree? Boy, you know, uh, it's, it would be so ironic because Bragg lets everybody else off and, and would charge this guy. I don't know. I think he's under a lot of pressure. You know, he brought the phony charges against a Bronx Bodega clerk who who stabbed a man who had been attacking him, and then he backed down from it. Uh, but the pressure on Bragg from the left is so huge that, that maybe he will. But, but uh, you know, if, if he's charged, then there should be protests in the streets. Yeah. Then- People should say, the reason that you were in this situation is because people like you are not actually charging real criminals. This man was not a criminal. It's maddening. Uh, Heather knows it. Uh, Pick up her book. She'll tell the story when race trumps merit. Thanks, Heather. Back in a moment. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This letter shows, this email between two CIA directors to try to create a political outcome in an election and then portray it as an organic intelligence warning. 51 people who carried the uh, power of the United States Intelligence Committee signed this letter without an iota or shred of evidence that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation or a Russian information operation so that Joe Biden could have that moment to lie to the American people that there was no there there in the Hunter Biden scandal. And that is uh, that is the man who's barely John Solomon, who's really been the head of this. And with his Just the News, was able to get the text message that showed 
basically Mike Morell recruiting John Brennan saying, hey, we need this for a talking point for the debate tonight. Can you sign off on this letter saying this is laptop is Russians information? He said, yeah, count me in. Dan Hoffman was a Moscow bureau chief, now works here, was approached. And he said, no, I don't want to do this. I don't even know what this laptop is. I haven't seen it. Why would I sign off on that? 51 others did. And then Joe Biden says at the debate, 51 intel experts said this is Russian disinformation. Rachel Campos Duffy is here. We kind of went over this for three hours in the morning. But it is stunning to see it in a text message. Not show me the documents. I'm a CIA director. Let me go over this. Let me test it with my people. No. Yeah, I want to talk about this, but I'm sorry. I cannot get over the fact, Brian, that you said you don't like Mexican food on the show today. And it's Cinco de Mayo, and I have a hard time trusting people who don't like Mexican food. Well, name food. some Mexican food. Name some. What are like, name well, some. listen, do you, do you know that salsa has replaced ketchup as the number one condiment? I'm, I support salsa. Is that good? Okay, fine. But you didn't want to dance when they brought the mariachis on. And that's well. You, I'll give you a pass. You know what? Because you don't dance no matter what's playing. Right, and you know why? Right, because you say it's it's not in your lane. Stick in your lane. That's a good one. Uh, but Brett Eldridge sang about it, and he had it the perfect line. Never met a dance floor that ever did me any good. <laughs> that you have that on the like I, on the I, actually I did that not your know producers are ready with that. I love right, it. I did that not is know you good had producing. That. When did you get that? When did you pull? I that? didn't even tell your producers that I was going to give you a hard time about that, and that they had it like on a button. That's a good team. Can I hear good it job, again? Pete. This has come up before. Oh, it's come up before. <laughs> Never met a dance floor that ever did me any good. It's true. Okay. Right? You got to know you your remember, Do you remember when Flo Rider came? Yes. And you slinked off the stage? Yes. <laughs> and even Steve Ducey was getting down. Right. Uh, that was his choice. Yeah. <laughs> we all make choices in life. Right? I get it ready for my Jack Keene interview. Yeah. Yeah. You were ready. Yeah. yeah. You were getting ready for the Jack Keene interview. You know what? Let's go back to what you're talking about. Because some of the best conversations we have are off camera. Right. And I've told you, we talked about it today. You had Jack Keene on. I think he's a great guy. I want to believe everything he says because he seems like a credible person and a really good person. Mm-hmm. But I I just think the things we're seeing with the, you know, 51 intelligence officers who would sign on to something that basically they knew was false that would allow Joe Biden to lie in a debate and really throw the election. I mean, this was election interference as far as I was concerned. And what it does is it just That's under- what the president should have been emphasizing, the former president. Uh, uh, th- thank you. I, I totally agree with you. Um, but he was trying to bring attention to the laptop, and it really wasn't um, – and, and we had senators trying to bring attention to it. They were called purveyors of Russian disinformation, Senator Grassley, Senator Kaylee Johnson. Kayleigh McEnany, the press Kaylee secretary, McEnany had her, had her was- account suspended. Right. And But here's the problem. I mean, besides the fact that they threw the election, I don't know where we go to get back our, our election, um, but – it's also a problem because now everything that comes out of the intelligence community, I question, going back to, to, to Keene, you had him on this morning and there was some sort of drone attack in Moscow. Was it in Moscow? Yeah. And, you know, he said, oh, this looks like a false flag. Now, when I hear that, I think he's a mouthpiece for, you know, and again, I think he's a nice guy because I don't believe anything. And so when I hear the Russians are false flags, when I hear, you know, I've had opposition, you and I've had different opinions on the, on, on the Ukraine war and whether it's in the U S interest. And I've been called a purveyor of, of, you know, Putin and Russian disinformation and whatever, because I showed some sort of 
you know, um, apprehension and, and misgivings about why we're there and how, how much it's in our interest. I think I have a legitimate point of view. I think you make really good points as well, Brian. But the point is that now because of what these people did, the 51 people who signed that, they are part of why now no Americans trust anything that comes out of the military industrial complex and intelligence. I feel like and, and listen, I already felt doubtful after the Iraq war and then this and then Russia collusion and then everything else. I just right. I've, I've become you know what they call me on the couch on the weekends because now I'm like a I'm I'm a peacenik. I like I don't trust anything. So I like I don't want to get want into peace. wars. I want peace. So uh, uh, Pete and Will call me the Cindy Sheehan of Fox News. And sometimes <laughs> they call me Cindy Snowden. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Really? On camera. I take it as a badge of honor. I've really changed my opinion. I, I don't trust a lot anymore. Right. Well, uh, General Jack Keene, out of the government, the guy who picked up the phone and said, Mr. President, to George W. Bush, uh, what you're doing now, your tactics are never going to work in Iraq. You've got to do this. Surge, you've got to talk to the tribes. And you've got to uh, deal them in. Next thing you know, Petraeus is in there. And the surge is one of the great military success stories of this generation. Barack Obama gets in office and says, yeah, I promise to pull the troops out. Pulls them out. In comes ISIS. All hell breaks loose. But Brian, they, should we have been there in, in there anyway? Should we have been in Iraq anyway? Um, I, I have something to say about that, but I want to bring you just to sure. finish off this with uh, Michael Morell. Okay. So Michael Morell's been on before with me, and what threw me about Mike Morell is both Bush and Obama liked him. And why? He was the briefer when there was a war on terror and we had to stay up to date every single day about what was happening in these hotspots. He had the total trust of the president. They knew what he needed to hear, what he didn't need to hear, what he was going to read and what he wasn't going to read. So I said, well, both sides, yeah, I like this guy. When he he saw him with CBS to a degree, I thought, and I still like him, I thought to agree, ah, that's too bad. We would have liked, I would have loved to have him here, some, uh, some resource during the war on terror. Well, he would come in and do a book or two, but he was also in charge of putting out that false narrative on Benghazi. Yeah. Mike Morell was all over that. And then we find out that Morell wanted to be, he was going to be the CIA director under Hillary Clinton. Then we find out he is queued up to do the same thing with Joe Biden. So he is gets steeled in by Anthony Blinken and said, hey, Mike, check out this, uh, this laptop thing. It looks like Russian disinformation. He goes, yeah, it is. So then he goes out and he goes, why don't you get some people together and let's just declare it is. So he starts doing it. And when, then, thanks to John Solomon, we have a sense of how they did it. So this ex-AIA chief wrote a letter signed by 51 former intelligence chiefs. He attempted to discredit the Post report. This is in the New York Post on Hunter Biden's infamous laptop. He said it was a talking point for Joe Biden to use during the debate the next night. So he actually said that to John Brennan. Not let's do the right thing and point out this is Russian information. Let's help Joe Biden. Right. So he says so Morell told fellow former CIA director Brennan, said, quote, uh, that he was attempting to give Biden uh, his campaign some ammunition just to push back on Trump during the debate tonight. Would you sign off on it? Can I add your name to the list? He said, uh, trying to give the campaign, particularly during the 2020 debate, a talking point to push back. Morell explains. Brandon said, OK, Michael, add my name to the list. Good initiative. Thanks for asking me to sign it. Didn't ask to read it. Didn't ask him about the laptop. No. Let me call Joe. Hey, Joe, uh, is, this, is this your son? Right. Joe, yeah, is it? Hey, uh, Devin Archer. How you doing? I'm the CIA director. Don't lie to me. Is this you? Is this your email? Right. That's what you have to do. No one had to do it. A lot of famous people are on there, and and you didn't you didn't need you didn't need a CIA or cyber expert. And Brian, it's it, so it brings up a couple of questions. First of all, so important. It's not just about the money. Um, we've seen corruption before. Um, this is about being compromised by the Chinese, by the Russians, by our greatest you know adversaries. So this is wildly important to the future of the country. 
Um, so th- that's my first thing. It also, of course, is election interference, without a doubt. Um, it is that. But again, this undermining of, of 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 our trust in our institutions. And then the big question is, and and, may, and it's a question I have for you, Brian. You you talked about morale. Why? What is it about Donald Trump that would want all that that they were w- willing to lie and to help Joe Biden, who they knew was not capable of handling this job? Um, I could only use. I could only use. Why would they? Why is it so important for, for them, to, them get him. to get rid of Donald Trump? What is the fear that they had with Donald Trump? You know what's interesting is uh, you know when. Uh, when the president walked over there and, and one in front of all those, when you walk into the CIA and tell Langley, you probably know this, there's all these pictures of everybody, all the names of all the people that lost their lives serving the country in the mm-hmm. CIA. Not that many, thankfully, but there's not that many. But the way he walked in, held a press conference, talked about himself as an election victory, not acknowledging that wall ticked them off. Shouldn't have. Uh, when he came out and said, I don't believe any of you guys, that ticked them off. It shouldn't have. So what? Grow up. That's yeah. how he feels. I don't trust you. And then he... I remember when George W. Bush put somebody in charge of the CIA they didn't like. They start leaking all this stuff about George W. Bush. Then right. he goes, guys, what's going on here? So who's running the country? Someone, so then he put someone else in charge. Things calmed down. When Chuck Schumer came out and said they have 51 ways to Sunday to, Sunday. to get back at you when did it. So Trump kept doubling and tripling down. Now, that's a great question for Mike Pompeo. When Mike Pompeo took over as CIA director, what was it like there? When you brought up the president's name, what, why would people recoil? What do you mean they weren't doing their job, working against them, standing up? The FBI was worse. What what was it about Trump? However, look at Comey. Comey went ahead and trashed Hillary Clinton while exonerating her at the same time, and that ticked the whole clearly Clinton camp about James Comey. He was wildcatting it with a press conference that nobody authorized in the middle of the right. day to just trashed her. It but just brings it, up so much about what our democracy, you know, we, talk, we hear everyone talking about our democracy, our democracy. That's right, our democracy. Who is running it? The people we elect, Donald Trump, even Joe Biden, or you brought up presidents who 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 appointed people that the the intelligence you know community um, or the military industrial complex didn't approve of. I mean, who is running this country? I, one of the most fascinating things that's happening in this race, um, real eye opener, is the the, uh, the campaign uh, of and the run of uh, of uh, uh, Kennedy Jr. Of Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, RFK Jr. Jr. And, you know, one of the things he's been talking about really openly in all of his interviews is how he believes the CIA took out his um, father-in-law and um, his his dad. He believes that the fact that they were uh, were against many of the machinations that were going on at the time, Bay of Pigs, and, and were angry You mean about, his uncle? His uncle. His yeah. uncle, yes. And then eventually his, he said that he believes his father had indicated he was going to take the same route as his dad in terms of taking down the intelligence, the power well, of the intelligence Well, he took down the mob, agent. RFK yeah. in particular. Yeah. So I think that— I don't know if Sirhan Sirhan, I mean, I'd be, if he actually—he killed him in a kitchen, right? Yeah. So I don't right, know if, but, but they—he—look, you've got a, a very credible, smart guy, RFK Jr., saying, I believe that my uncle and my father's um, commitment to putting elected officials and not these clandestine organizations— in charge of decision-making in our government is why they ended up dead. That's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And then we're seeing, as you're, as you're stating here, you mean this letter, the, the way that they leak right. information when, when we don't, when our elected officials don't do what they want. It's, 
it's making me lose a lot of trust in government. And I was one of those people that defended the Iraq war for a while. Then I, then I, then I got, I think I got clued in a little bit more. I don't know. I'm, uh, well, I'm just, I, I I'm get, worried about the distrust right. in our institution. I don't think I'm alone, Brian. Well, I, well, I'm going to, I'm going to hear. So this, just to finish this up. So just don't know how important this is. Everyone's waiting for this debate. We had COVID-19. He can't really see a real campaign. We never saw Biden and Trump on the stage together. Trump was falling behind slightly. He thought this is the chance to get a guy that clearly is compromised, that lost his fastball at least 10 years ago. They were sidelined by Obama. He's back there six years on the center stage. Would he fold? Well, when this laptop comes out talking about what he was up to the, with Ukraine, with the Moscow mayor uh, over in um, um, over in China, Romania. Romania. So he was ready to go. It was in his laptop. But then the laptop gets sidelined by these uh, social media companies, but he's ready to go. And listen to what Joe Biden said, knowing that it was his son laptop, son's laptop. Cut 16. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. They have said that this is has all the care Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. So he knows he's lying. And when you, you could tell, look at his body language. If he's that comfortable lying and angry, right, mm-hmm. angry, what else is he lying about? Yeah, he lied. Then the media went with them, and they lied because they didn't also have. They any never cari- talked to Tony Bobolinsky. They no, had no interest in following up. No on interest. It. The FBI didn't have any interest in it. And then the, think about the coordination. Then they were able to coordinate social media to suppress anyone who wanted to talk about it online. So I mean, it really altered the elections, and um, and yeah, I mean, look, the the Bidens are corrupt. Everything's in there, and you know what you. Just even look at their sense of values with little Navy Biden, Hunter's illegitimate daughter. I mean, the fact that the Joe Biden doesn't acknowledge you won't acknowledge. I mean, I've been saying this forever. They won't even spare the little girl a ticket to the Easter egg roll. Nope. Um, they are absolutely cruel. Um, and I mean, I don't care. I'm a parent. You're a parent. I don't care. That's my blood. That's yeah. that's their blood. And and because she's not politically. Um, Oper, you know, it's not a good political time for them. They're just willing to discard her as if she was trash. And he wants to lower the child support payments. I mean, I, know, I, I would and, strangle him. And by the way, this stripper is not just a stripper. She was a grad student. I guess she has some criminal justice. So she has been more formidable, I think, than the Bidens thought. And so right. for her to go, you know what? I know you have more money. It's in that laptop. And now it might be that this stripper slash grad student right. slash mama um, fighting for her daughter is going to be the one to break open this case. Rachel, stay right there. Back in a moment. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, Rachel Campos-Duffy is here. I'm going to lower this so we don't get the echo. Rachel Campos-Duffy is here. You are not working Saturday because they're doing London coverage? Well, I'll be here. What do you mean? In case I'll be in the building in case, you know, something happens and they need to come to me. But but you're going to get all the coverage from... You know, we have a great team out there. We have Ainsley and Piers Morgan and Martha, who knows... 
She's pre- uh, sometimes she might I, as well be British. Yeah, she. I was just going to say that she might as well be British. One day we're just going to she defected. Yeah, right. And it's going to ask for a. I'm going to check her passport. Right. So so Rachel, uh, the only thing you know this story too. You know the yeah. Royals, right? Yeah. Uh, the only thing I love I mean, talking about the Harry thing is just I find it endlessly fascinating. <laughs> Me too. Right? I. I mean, they did two bizarre people who yeah. are totally not self aware of how ridiculous yeah. they look. You know, but the whole royal family is kind of screwed up. I mean, uh, here's the deal. On the one hand. You know, they're giving they're, – they're mistreating, according to Harry and Meghan, uh, they're mistreating them because, you know, they wrote a book about the about their dad and their stepmom and said all these mean things. And then they're kind of surprised that they're not getting good seats. <laughs> you know? ah, it's he can't funny. wear his uniform. He can't yeah. get permission. He actually served in Afghanistan. He's the only one that actually served He's not in even the a pretend warrior. No, he's not a pretend uh, uh, our military guy. But on the other hand, I kind of do understand. I mean, look, if if my mom died um, and before my mom died, my dad was sleeping with this woman and having a, you know, she, what Diana called, uh, it was three people in the marriage, you know. Right. And she – so, I mean, I understand why Harry doesn't like his stepmom. It's pretty understandable, but... Um, is she going to be queen? Yes, she is. She, so you're going to call queen. her Queen Camilla? There, yep. And by the way, Harry and Meghan sort of alluded that Camilla, and this is why I think Camilla is really mad. I, I suspect she's the one behind the seating arrangement. Um, she is the one that is sort of, they alluded, is the one who questioned the, the shade of the baby. Oh, wow. You know, the color of the skin. Well, so. I told Chris Rock said, we all were wondering. We all wanted to know. <laughs> right. I, you know what? When I, I'm married to an Irishman, and I'm Latina. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. In a matter of moments, one of the foremost experts, especially in the New York area of uh, law enforcement, been there, uh, uh, you know, been actually getting his hands dirty, getting involved, trying to make this city better. For as long as I can remember, Curtis Sliwa. At the bottom of the hour, uh, Jonathan Ward's out with a brand new book, The Decisive Decade, The Grand Strategy for Triumph Over China. Triumph Over China. He's the founder of the Atlas Organization. If you want to know what China's up to and how they plan on overtaking us, Jonathan's fascinating. You're going to love that interview. Uh, so let's just get right to uh, Curtis. Curtis, we're watching protests in New York again. There's a desperation to have George Floyd, too, after this incident in the subway um, over the last couple of days. Just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous, Brian. And it started by AOC all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calling it a murder, followed by others who say it's a modern-day lynching. Uh, This is just a continuation of trying to get people to come out in the streets. But it's a a little more difficult now, Brian, because back in the summer of 2020, there was Black Lives Matter. Now they're big, large mansions. They're into the real estate business. They may not want to go back into the streets unless there's some money to be made. But they're trying to pour gasoline on the fire. And I have said, look, we have a member of the United States Marine Corps who joined to protect our country. You're not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. All he did was put on a headlock. You want to call it a chokehold. I've done that dozens of times over 44 years to restrain individuals who are either going through schizophrenia, 
emotionally disturbed or just had lost control of their emotions right. at a certain point. I've used uh, I've used uh, arm locks, leg locks. I've used half Nelsons, full Nelsons. You never know what you're going to do until you're in the position. Remember, he doesn't have handcuffs. He's not like a trained professional police officer who's trained so, to restrain an individual. So let, let's uh, tell everyone what's happening around the country. You have Jordan Neely. He's 30 years old. This guy's been arrested over 40 times. He spent time in jail for punching a woman, an older woman, and giving her brain damage. He is schizophrenic by his own admission and the admission of his aunt. He's ranting and raving on a train on the F train in the subway, one I take every single day, by the way, at about that time when I don't have things to do in the evening at about 2.30. And this guy was out of control, throwing garbage, berating foot passengers. One of the phrases he was saying uh, was Jordan Neely was, I don't care if I go back to prison. I don't care if I die. So obviously he's screaming. He's desperate. People feel threatened. And what happened, we need to get the details, but this 24-year-old Marine got him in a suppression hold. See, people are saying chokehold, but he was moving enough, and you're great at breaking this down, where they still had other passengers grab his arms. So this guy was still resisting. He didn't get stabbed by this 24-year-old Marine. He didn't get shot by this Bernie, like a Bernie Getz type situation. He was being restrained. By the time he gets out, he is lost. He has stopped breathing. They could not revive him. He dies. And now there's these protests shutting down bridges again, led by Hawk Newsom of the New York chapter of Black Lives Matter. This seems so organized now. They want this guy in jail. Oh, there's no doubt. And remember, Brian Kilmeade, when the incident occurred 2.30 in the afternoon on Monday, as you mentioned, a crowded F train. So it's not 2.30 in the morning. Lots of people on that subway car. They were interviewed not only by the police, who released him, the Marine, but by an assistant DA of Alvin Bragg. And you know Alvin Bragg is so quick to uh, arrest and immediately charge anybody who's defending himself. Even Alvin Bragg uh, let this guy loose. But as soon as the video came out on Tuesday and we saw it's a white guy with a black guy, you know that's what causes everybody to immediately start getting involved in this racial racketeering. Look at Al Slim Shady Sharpton. Compared it to Bernard Getz with those four thugs that he shot. So how do you even compare the two? But it meets their narrative and agenda. And I wouldn't doubt that Alvin Bragg has gotten his call from George Soros in the Hamptons saying, hey, guy, maybe you want to rethink this. It's like this does not fit the narrative. So he'll probably ultimately charge him uh, with a minor charge. It'll go before a grand jury, and I know a lot of people are saying, oh, a grand jury will indict him. No. Grand jury is composed of people who ride the subways every day. And just like in the Getz case, white and black, they've dealt with this every day. It's the politicians who allow the emotionally disturbed and the homeless to live in the subways. And this is what you're going to get. I want you to hear something. You want to hear irresponsible? Not even Al Sharpton was this irresponsible. Here's the governor. Cut one. I do want to acknowledge how horrific it was to view a video of Jordan Neely being killed uh, for being a passenger on our subway trains. I don't care about labeling it. Just looking at that video, you know it's wrong. No one has the right to take the life of another person. But he got killed because he was a passenger on the subway train? She out of her mind? Well, not only that, remember, Brian, she is responsible for the subway system, which is controlled by the, the state agency called the MTA. I call it the money-taking agency. You pay your money, you get nothing in return. 
So she's suddenly saying he was a passenger. This woman who's so disconnected, that's why I call her Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, doesn't realize he's been living in the subway, that there are other emotionally disturbed persons who live there, and that the state has not gone in there with the powers invested in them to involuntarily commit them into state mental hospitals, which is where they need to be to get the care that they desperately need. So if you're going to point a finger at fault, you have to say it's the governor who's in charge of the subway system refusing to remove these people who are a danger to themselves and everyone else. Twenty-seven people have been killed in the subways in the last few years, many of them pushed in front of oncoming trains by emotionally disturbed persons. Not a mention of any of that. This Marine did what he had to do with the training that we as taxpayers had invested in him to go overseas to protect our democracy, our freedom, our lives, and now we're not even going to give him the benefit of the doubt? How crazy is this? Yep, 27 people died since 2020. Uh, do you remember this, these incidents? By the way, it took 15 years to have 27 people die before 2019. 15 years. And now we got 27 dead by 2020. And now you say to people, how could you sit around and watch as these people get beat up or this person gets stabbed? Well, number one, they're saying to myself, do I want to get involved? When this kid's name gets out there, you know they're going to be protesting in front of his house, disturbing his neighbors. His life is never going to be the same for doing what he thought was necessary I'm sure. we got to get his side of the story. Where is AOC when Akeem Looney, a street soccer player and homeless, homeless, was murdered by a stranger while he was sleeping? Claudine Roberts stabbed to death while she was sleeping on the subway. Michelle Goh was stabbed because she was Asian by this lunatic Simon Marshall. And know what they say? Oh, these guys are mentally disturbed. They're homeless. AOC tweets out as if high rents are the reason. And they call they call giving cops a raise militarizing. That's what Eric Adams doing. So I, I, I just don't know how these people sleep at night. Well, also, remember, Brian, it took 15 minutes for the police to respond. There were multiple 911 calls. You see the Marine asking the crowd that was there, please call 911. And they did. The crowd did many times. It's not that the police didn't want to come. We don't have enough police. We don't. How short are we? How short are we? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who hates the police, wants to defund, wants to remove the police, and allow anarchy to reign. Because remember, ultimately the goal is to get all of us to move to Florida so the socialists can take over the capitalistic epicenter of the world, New York City, and raise their flag. That's the bottom line. They want us out of here. And if there's any way they can cause more racial division, there's more ways they can pit white versus black, cops versus citizens, they're going to be throwing gasoline on the fire. When's the last time AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, was on a subway? When is the last time she went out there without security? Of course, she's protected. She is the queen of the socialists. I don't even call them Democrats. They're socialists, and they want to destroy our way of life, and they do it through these kinds of cases. And, you know, we want the whole country to listen because this could be happening to a city, whether it's Portland, whether it's Chicago, whether it's Minneapolis, and it might even have happened there and you could understand it. But I just want to give you a sense of what it was like on the streets last night and what could happen this weekend. Cut five. So 
So no white supremacy. If we don't get justice, we're going to burn it down. So if charges aren't given, they're going to try to wreck the city again. Curtis, is this going to be like George Floyd? Are the cops going to be told to stand and let it happen? No. No, this is not going to be George Floyd because you've got a number of black and Hispanic people who ride the subways every day who understand that it's the same politicians who have allowed this situation to take place. And they keep showing uh, a scenario of this uh, young man who died uh, in the chokehold as doing Michael Jackson impressions. He did. That was years ago. But in the interim, he was swallowed into the belly of the beast. This is Mental Health Awareness Month. He's had these problems for years. Where was AOC? Where were all these demonstrators? Where was Hawk Newsom? Black Lives Matter, which has become big, large mansions, now once again said, we're going to burn it down. He's not going to burn anything down. Nothing is going to happen. It's going to go through the criminal justice system. He'll probably be arrested now that there's pressure on Bragg. I don't believe there is a grand jury in the world, never mind Manhattan, that will find him at fault. We want more people to get involved, not less people. But the socialists like AOC want us to leave, lock, stock, and barrel. Like Governor Hochul, remember, told us, go to Florida, get on a bus, get out of here. They're always telling us to leave, except when it's time to pay taxes, Brian. As you know, they want our money, and then they tell us to leave. Yeah, I think they lost $16 billion of people who did pick up and leave. Uh, To Eric Adams' credit, uh, he did not overreact. Here's what he said. Cut to. We cannot just blankly say, blankly say what a passenger should or should not do in a situation like that. We should allow the investigation to take its course. I love it. As you know, Brian, I've been his worst critic, both when I was running against him for mayor and loss and for the time he's been in office. But he was so spot on on this. Let the process take place. You give the United States Marine the benefit of the doubt. He served America. He went overseas. He was discharged honorably. Do not make him the target for those that would threaten his life and destroy his legacy. Curtis, thanks so much for what you do. Uh, Hopefully the city will survive when everybody has off and they could protest all day and night. Curtis Sliwa, thank you. Anytime, Brian. I'll be down in the subways again today like I am every day. Right. And he does take action, and he helps people. Uh, He's also a star in WABC Radio. Curtis, thank you. I'll talk to you again soon. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We'll be back in a moment. Then bottom of the hour, what's China up to? Jonathan Ward, brand new book on the big strategy. You're going to want to hear every word. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We've got a couple of minutes here before I, I talk a little bit about China. I do want to talk about what's happened with Hunter Biden. Axios has a report today, and I suspected this, that the White House and Hunter Biden's legal team are having a war of words. Why? Because they recommended, uh, Anita Dunn recommended a lawyer for Hunter Biden. Evidently, he doesn't have much money on hand. And this was a low-profile lawyer to fight for Hunter Biden, I assume, adequately. They weren't happy with it, or Hunter wasn't. So they hired Abby Lowell, who's got this flamboyant reputation, and he's been breaking glass and turning over the tables. And they don't want additional they don't want additional attention on Hunter's problems, especially as they relate to the president's. So they're at war and not even speaking to each other legally even to try to get the same message. Now, you knew something was up when Abby Lowell starts calling out Peter Mac Isaac, who ran the computer repair shop, and saying, we're going to sue you 
for leaving, putting Tucker's, putting Tucker's, uh, putting, uh, uh, putting Hunter's laptop information out in the public. Wait a second. Uh, excuse me. Uh, well, you never even acknowledged that it was Hunter's laptop. And now going down and having a high profile trial trying to get less child support for a kid you don't acknowledge, but you were, uh, you fathered uh, with the stripper. And that's a lot of attention. And there, it's a big story. And people are covering it. And now you have this attention with more information about a would-be indictment. Abby Lowe goes in. We have called a meeting with, uh, with the DA, with, uh, with, uh, with Weiss, in order to find out what they have and what charges might be coming down the pike. And who knows if they're trying to get a deal done on his tax evasion and gun charge. And again, I don't care about Hunter Biden's future. I have no interest in his, uh, in his finances, that he did drugs and got kicked out of the military, all what he's done and his uh, exploits, blowing up his marriage and going with his brother's uh, wife, a widow, and then dropping all that and going crazy, denying he had a relationship with this stripper. Meanwhile, there was video of them together and then finding out this, uh, this next wife and traveling around with his dad. Now they're saying he has no money. Well, he's, that's not uh, my problem or your problem. The thing that makes it most interesting is where did he get to begin with? Why does almost everyone he dealt with on his father's calendar as vice president, why did he? Why is all the stuff that Tony Bobulinski said now coming into fruition? And why do we have a whistleblower saying that Joe Biden directly was involved in changing our foreign policy to benefit his business interests? That's the big deal. That's the deal that's coming out with this whistleblower. Now, a lot of people have doubts about it. What you don't have doubts about is Chuck Grassley. I'm not going to jump to conclusions and say X, Y, and Z happened. I'm not there, but this whistleblower has got everybody's attention. Here's Chuck Grassley, cut 18. What specific evidence do you have that Joe Biden was involved with an alleged criminal effort when he was vice president? Uh, everything that we have is in our statement, and it's up to the FBI to get us that document immediately, and then we'll know uh more than probably what's in that document, but I have had the information from credible sources of whistleblowers in the FBI, and uh, and that's the basis for it. And now it's up to the FBI to produce the information. And there's a sense that the up to FBI might not produce the information. It's back to 2020. It was one document that he gave. Uh, it was a 302 that was uh, they want the document that preceded that one along with the 302, which is a summary of the interview. But the, there's a sense that the FBI will say it's too sensitive. Wow. Here's uh, CNN doubting this is real. Cut 20. Also stunning, I would argue more stunning, the Republicans making this claim admit they have no evidence. Just an unverified tip. This is an explosive claim coming from two Republicans who have spent a whole lot of time investigating the Bidens. And they say they've heard from an unnamed whistleblower who insists the FBI has some kind of evidence that Joe Biden, when he was vice president, was involved in this criminal scheme that involved paying off a foreign national. Now, we should note they don't offer any evidence to back this claim up. They don't offer it in their press release. They don't offer it in subsequent interviews that Chuck Grassley has done on this. We'll see. If they don't produce it, just like when Rudy Giuliani came out and made those outlandish statements about what he guarantees is going to happen with the election and what they were able to prove and never able was to do it uh, in Nevada. If Comer and Grassley don't produce this whistleblower with information, then that's a problem. But if the FBI refuses to give up that information, that's a bigger problem. That shows the FBI is putting its hands on the scale in a way that you wouldn't think possible. In the past, when they would, they felt they had something on Trump, not only would they give up information, they would contact the Washington Post or New York Times and leak it out. 
James Comey's an example of that. When we come back, our major focus, if we can get through this intramural stuff, should be China. Jonathan Ward is all over it. The decisive decade, they're calling it. The strategy for triumph over China. He's got it. we got to subscribe to it. Don't move. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Time's not on our side. The Xi regime is working every day to catch up and surpass the United States. There is no reason our two parties here in the Congress and in the Senate can't come together and send a strong message to the Chinese government that we're united in, in this pressing national security effort and we are committed to maintaining America's lead in the future. And it's and they're really testing us now, no doubt about it. That's Senator Chuck Schumer. And the reason why it's significant, because I could have probably given you 25 Republicans to make the same speech. They really agree on this. How we're going to go about it and how committed this administration is, is where the rubber hits the road. With me right now in studio, if you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, you're seeing Jonathan Ward. The Decisive Decade, the name of his brand new book, American's Grand Strategy for Triumph Over China. He's also a founder of Atlas Organization, a consultancy focused on the rise of China and India, the geopolitics of the Indo-Pacific and U.S.-China global competition. This has been basically your life's focus, right, Jonathan? Pretty much, Brian. So you see, first off, things have really changed since you came out with your last book. Yeah. China is really on the offensive. But economically, they might be the more vulnerable than ever before. Could you describe how China seems to have accelerated their mission? Sure. Well, China has, is now reaping all the benefits of becoming a global economic superpower. I mean, we enabled that. We allowed them to rise through access to our capital, technology, and markets and basically haven't stopped it. So they converted that first into military power and now into um, global diplomacy. So when we see all the actions that have happened over the past two months, whether it's in the Middle East, whether it's Macron going to – to China, whether it's Lula going to China and talking about getting rid of the dollar, I mean, all of this, that's right, you know, is the result of them becoming a global economic superpower that now has the military power to, um, you know, undercut our advantages in the Indo-Pacific. So Kissinger we've lost thought, a lot of ground. Yeah, Kissinger thought we bring them in. Uh, they'll understand uh, how it's necessary to be in the family of nations and we'll gradually win them over. Uh, that wasn't – that didn't work. No, Kissinger was totally wrong about China. Next, Bill Clinton said, let's bring him into the WHO. I still, we still have a lot of influence there. Let's do it. How did that work out? Well, we brought him into all of our institutions. So, yes, the World Trade Organization and other, you know, IMF, World Bank, we basically gave them access to the entire uh, U.S. built architecture after the first, uh, Second World War and the Cold War. And they've used it to grow their own power. And they always had this vision of surpassing us. So Schumer's right about that. I mean, he's got the exact language that the Communist Party uses. They want to catch up with America and surpass America. That's been their vision since the founding of the People's Republic in 1949. And we were essentially played for fools. We let them do this. Right. Uh, I was listening to MacArthur's final speech at West Point, at which time he said, you should have let me finish off Red China. They will be a – this is 1952, I think. He said they will be a problem in the future. We should learn anything from the past. We cannot let these nations exist. They only get more powerful, and it just uh, it puts off confrontation. It doesn't prevent it. Sure, He was 100 percent right. Well – uh, Napoleon Bonaparte even said it 100 years before that, you know, when China wakes, it will shake the world. And even Nixon and Kissinger wondered. You can see some things in the Nixon tapes where he asks, you know, Henry, have we done the right thing? What really are the consequences? And now we're seeing the consequences. But we knew why we did it. One China. of the reasons was a hedge against the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. 
And we thought, hey, we'll take the other emerging power. We'll make sure they're in our orbit. And they were having constant border skirmishes with each other. So they were open. They saw us as, a, as good for them, too. Well, sure. And that's the Cold War context. But then what happened was after the Cold War, we just brought them into the global economy. All our businesses went over there. Our investors poured money in. And that's how China became the superpower. They stole the technology. They stole the technology. their policy. Or we just gave it to them. I mean, the joint venture model basically meant giving them technology for market access. So they went from being an agrarian nation to being a technological and industrial superpower. And we did that through business. That was uh, commercial engagement with the United States uh, built China as a superpower. And how, what role did uh, their students play in our colleges and to their growth? Well, I mean, the ones that go back, I mean, that's sort of, um, you know, an open question. I mean, if people are going back and sort of uh, working in key industries or working in the military, I mean, those are some issues we've got to resolve. But, you know, hopefully, I mean, there are also plenty that want to stay and do stay. And, you know, if we can be a brain drain for the world and pull people over here that are going to stay here, we, that's oh, we convinced that, you know, I've been told, too, by people that endorse your book, like uh, General McMaster, that almost every student could be a spy because they have family members at home. If they're asked to do something, acquire something, they do it. So this is the issue is the Communist Party is still able to operate in the United States. So as we've heard about police stations in America and around the world. Downtown New York right, City. Right down here, you know, close to where we're sitting in, in the center they of Manhattan. They gave Chuck Schumer a plaque. Did they? Yes, <laughs> they gave him an award. Part. Yes. Oh, oh, he had man. no idea who he was dealing with. Uh-huh. But he thought the Chinese community was giving me an award. I'll take it. Well, well, sure. And their united front operations are things that many people still don't understand. So, you know, they do use influence operations in the U.S. as they do all around the world. Um, and we have to break the party's ability to operate in America so that when people are coming over here, they're not threatened by um, their regime overseas. And that's a lot of what they're trying to accomplish here is the ability to um, influence and, and coerce, um, you know, Chinese nationals that have come here or, or even emigres. I mean, we know what they did in Brazil. They've basically taken over all of Brazil. We know that they now have a predominant influence at big in Argentina. You know, they have big inf- – they'll move into Venezuela to a degree with that failed state. So they want to take over Lentra, uh, something we never thought possible, Central and South America. They want to have to be the most influential because we've taken our eye off the ball there. We've taken our eye off the ball in so many places, and they have a global strategy, and it's really an encirclement strategy. The Belt and Road includes every single continent. It's Asia, Africa, Europe, even Latin America. They even added the Arctic to it. How would you describe Belt and Road? Belt and Road is about encircling the United States. It's about tying all of the world's continents back to China with China as the economic center of the 21st century. And if we don't stop that... Um, then then they are going to gain a much bigger lead on us than we can imagine. Well, we want to do our own uh, Belt and Road program. I don't know where that's at. We have a little different approach. We don't want to extort countries. They do. They want to build a bridge in an airport and a port they can't afford. And when they can't make the payments, that, that emerging country, you know, being kind, uh, has to give up the property. So suddenly China has got a port in Africa. They have an airport or a, uh, in the middle of another Pakistan. So they get these countries that don't have the resources. They give them loans that they can't afford to pay back. It helps the politician because it looks like they're growing. But when you can't make the payments, what happens? Then it belongs to the People's Republic of China. So, yes, they've invested over $900 billion essentially in an overseas economic empire. And we've done very little about it. All right. Do you think we understand the threat? I think we're getting there. Um, And it's bipartisan now. But what really matters, Brian, and one of the emphases of the decisive decade, my new book, is to – show that there's a path for us to still win this game, but we have to win an economic competition. Last that question, also means slowing yeah. them down economically. Last question on, before we talk about how what your plan is, sure. is the pandemic. What did it do for their goals? What did it do for their economy? 
what did it do for their population? Well, the pandemic actually um, increased China's uh, holdover supply chains. I mean, the trade deficit has has uh, expanded in the United States and in other parts of the world. I mean, we're still buying more from them. Um, and they saw it, you know, once it happened, they started looking at it as an opportunity for them to um, advance an economic strategy. So I talk about that a bit in the book. Um, they thought that it would, uh, you know, crater the U.S. economy and also uh, cause disunity in, in the Western alliance system and cause more dependence on China, which has been their basic strategy to get more of the world to depend on China while they start to increase their independence from obviously that didn't work out well well they've had a lot of problems yeah right because they were the last ones to stand up and start accelerating their economy but yet they're still finding a way uh to push this belt and road foreign policy when they seem to have so many needs domestically so we see they're fanning out through africa we see them playing a diplomatic role in the middle east we see the relationship with saudi arabia we see the one with iran that's existed for before they also have better relations with syria than we do uh the uae so we see what they're doing in Central and South America as we went over. How do we combat this? Well, look, you have to do economic containment of China. I mean, we have to stop investing in China. We have to stop um, transferring technology. We have to get our businesses to change course so they have a lot less economic power going around the world. I mean, they're still an expanding country. I mean, they expand at 4 to 5% each year. Most major banks predict that. But we can stop that. I mean, all of that expansion is really based on their access to the world economy, the access that we've granted them. So if we start taking the right measures in uh, technology and capital and in markets, uh, we can slow that down. And then their geopolitical power will eventually contract. That's well, what we have to do. Well, right now we have to prove that uh, they're not better. They're better off with the dollar. And this does the BRIC organization that consists of Saudi Arabia, South Africa, the Russia, China does. And maybe they're expanding even further. Does that bother you? I'm, I'm not worried about the BRICS yet. I mean, yeah, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. But, you know, Russia and China, I mean, Russia's a rogue state. China is our primary adversary. India is not a friend of China. That's never going to come back together, given what China's done to India in the past. Um, and then, you know, Brazil, I think, is a very important question. I mean, we've got to have a strategy to get Brazil back on our side. Lula considers Biden an ally. The Biden administration did everything for him to win. This 74-year-old criminal uh, then get rid of Bolsonaro because he was tight with Trump. We were much better off with Bolsonaro in charge of Brazil. Well, sure. But I mean, Bolsonaro was um, against sort of China's increasing economic hold over Brazil. And Lula uh, clearly is he's not a communist. I mean, right. The guy who worships about, Castro. Yeah. I mean, the whole uh, pink wave in Latin America, as they call it. I mean, that's something that really has consequences for us in a geopolitical competition with Russia and China. How do we keep up militarily? We're going to have to invest in the in the right systems. I mean, we still have a certain kind of lead, but, you know, China now has the larger Navy, um, you know, very sophisticated air forces and, um, you know, a missile force that we haven't done much about. So we're going to need to change our, um, you know, basing architecture in the Pacific, go through all the Pacific um, deterrence initiatives that we can and, and take uh, sort of the hedgehog approach mm-hmm. to Taiwan, just make it very tough for Beijing to conquer. Right. Make it a porcupine. Exactly. Uh, make it impossible. Right. Uh, when we can't deliver after three years on the weapon systems that they paid for – that just that's discouraging. Yeah, and that's also about I'm our, talking about to Taiwan. Exactly. And our industrial base is, is a big part of the problem. I mean, we basically outsourced our industrial base to our primary adversary. You know, China is thirty percent of world manufacturing output and we're fifteen percent. I mean, that is not the position you want to be in in a geopolitical contest, much less an actual conflict or hot war in Asia. So we have to rebuild the industrial base. I mean, that's gonna be one of the most important things that we have to get done, both for the military and also to have that uh, for our own economic power. So do do we have any sign of doing that? We got the China Select Committee. They talk about what you just talked about. We have uh, Republicans and Democrats under, agreeing with Jonathan Ward. So 
what are we doing it? Well, we need to get businesses um, and finance on our side. I mean, that's really what has to happen now is Wall Street and um, you know C-suites and boards have to go through the same awakening that the Congress had on this issue. We're not there yet, but you can't win um, a global economic contest without your private sector. You can't rebuild an industrial base without your private sector. You can't secure supply chains and win in strategic industries without your private sector. So we need to get them into this picture. That is the best possible. It's the only path. It's how I mean, we, we won have the incentives with the chips uh, deal coming back. We're trying to bring manufacturing back. We thought by lowering the corporate rate, it might do that. But as I remember Steve Jobs saying, we don't have enough engineers. I can never bring manufacturing back from China because we don't have enough to do it. And other people say, listen, I'm not going to be able to sell my towels, my, my tires, if I have to pay American wages. I get those cheap labor. I bring it back and people like the cheaper product. Have we adjusted that calculus? Or am, I, am I talking about a 1980s model? Or is that what business is still saying? Well, there are a lot of different ways to do this. I mean, you have to look at the whole value chain. So at the top of the value chain, I think we can bring certain things back. But then at the bottom of the value chain, I mean, go into other places that are not China, go into Southeast Asia, go into Mexico, go into Latin America. I mean, we can build economic relations with so much of the world by diversifying away from China. And that's what we have to do. If we're able to, to replace China's trading relationship with many um, of, you know, with ourselves and with our allies by going to third party the emerging world nations, we're going to get the relationships we want with the emerging world. That's how you win the economic game. But yet they're being belligerent. They do not want to talk to this administration. They, they keep repulsing the secretary of state. They send those spy balloons over and they say they want it back. How dare we shoot it down when they should not even have sent it over the spy balloon program. It's important to them. It's not a joke. Well, that's right, because this is a country that's preparing for war. I mean, they've made that absolutely clear. Xi Jinping has been saying that since 2013 or so. I mean, he is always talking about preparing to fight and win wars. They've built a force structure that's designed for combat with the U.S. I mean, that's absolutely what they're talking about. Um, Some say they see that as inevitable. I mean, throughout their history, they have used force against other nations. That's been a real feature of the Communist Party. So, you know, this is part of why we have to stop this. I mean, if we allow them to continue to grow, to continue building military power, Right. Um, we're going to get um, exactly what they tell us is coming. Right. So the status quo won't fly, fly. But I think it says a lot that we are meeting more in the Philippines. We've expanded our base there, expanded the base in Guam. Constant meetings with Japan, who is just as concerned as us. They've doubled their defense budget, which is hard, of, uh, which is, I, I think, is a great move. I have no problem with it. I don't know if you do, but that's a problem for China. China fears Japan and still wants redemption for World War II. And then South Korea, the leader was just over here. So we are going to commit to their missile defense. Is there more we can be doing well, in the, the Jonathan Ward plan for winning? Sure. Well, the, the good news is the region is coming together because um, Asian allies get uh, how dangerous China really is. So we have a lot Australia of, too. Australia too. And, and, you know, I think we need to work on India. We have to try to get India onto our side. And the real problem there is India's relationship with Russia. So we need a real U.S. strategy towards India to bring them towards the democratic world, towards the alliance system, and not necessarily as a treaty ally, but as a very deep partner because they see this too. I mean, there is going to be, it is going to be possible to build a regional balance of power that works from a military perspective. But if we don't have an economic strategy to support our military strategy, our military strategy won't work for very long. That's why we need to get both right. How damaging was it for you and your plan when Macron goes over there and says, I really don't want to take a stance when it comes to Taiwan? What's he talking about? Well, sure. He talked about the not wanting to be a supplicant to the U.S. Does he understand what's the difference between good and evil? I mean, Macron is playing the fool right now on the world stage. I think everybody saw that. I he hope went over so. there, yes. And, 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 and the whole, you know, whole free world thought that but was. Is that a, an American perspective? No. I think there are many people in Europe that also see that because when he's talking – I mean what he said was we don't want to get involved in conflicts that don't involve us. If he thinks a Taiwan 
conflict doesn't affect Europe, then that's just crazy. And if he doesn't understand that if we act indifferent towards it, they will take it. And if he knows there's going to be ramifications for it, they won't. Because why put themselves through this when they have enough challenges? Jonathan Ward, a couple more minutes when we come back. Uh, it's called The book is called The Decisive Decade, The American Grand Strategy for Triumph Over China, How to Flat Out Win This Contest. Uh, Senator John Kyle says uh, it's on the front cover. And General H.R. McMaster writes the forward. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm the Chinese Communist Party, and tomorrow I invade Taiwan. How does the rest of the world know who started it? Well, they look at the information environments that they what if TikTok is the number one most popular app around the world, which it is on trajectory to they be? They control it. They control the consensus. And they don't even have to create propaganda. They can do what my colleague uh, calls amplifaganda, which means I can take domestic voices in Nigeria or Honduras or Mexico who are the ones saying, hey, it's the U.S. who probably started this war in Taiwan. I can selectively dial up those voices and turn down the voices of everybody who said China started the war in Taiwan. Now, I can control the moral consensus of the world. It is the new basis of soft power. Tristan Harris was in our studio talking about what China can do, and not only with AI, but with TikTok and why we have to get rid of it. That's not news to Jonathan Ward. He's got a book out now, The Decisive Decade, America's Grand Strategy for Triumph Over China. Your thoughts about his conclusion? I think that's spot on. That's exactly right. I mean, if they're controlling the screen time or influencing it for 150 million Americans, I mean, imagine if the Soviet Union was controlling our television sets or influencing them during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Imagine if Japan was doing that during or after Pearl Harbor. I mean, I think he's right. It's the ability to project and uh, not only U.S. information flows, but globally. I mean, they've got 650 million users worldwide and China's entire strategy. I mean, they've used this in wars that they've started in the past where they'll go out um, and try to convince other nations that it's the other side's fault. And, of course, that's exactly what they would do. What are they capable of with AI, knowing that they can mimic voices, commands, and everything? I mean, do you think they're going to keep guardrails up on AI? No, they're going to use it to advance Communist Party power however they possibly can. So what we put – we might be limiting ourselves, but they're not going to limit themselves. Right, and that's that's just the – that's what we're in. I mean it's right. it's in a way it's like nuclear weapons. I mean you cannot when, – when there are two sides competing for power, you have to – Run the race. And Jonathan, part of your recipe for success, and we're up against the clock now, is not just build a bigger military, but tell Nike, tell Apple, tell these major corporations, J.P. Morgan Chase, you got to get out. Make a decision. You can't build them up and be an American company. Jonathan Ward, congratulations. Thank you, Brent. Great to be with you. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Shannon Breen is standing by. Carly Shimkus will come in one month early just for you uh, and me. Uh, because, you know, she had a baby and it's going well. And she is going to, she said, Brian, why don't you ask me on radio? And I said, okay. And then she says, you know, I'm going to come in studio. I go, well, when are you back? June 1st. And I said, come in uh, June 1st. She goes, no, I'll come in earlier. So she's coming in. Hopefully she has a good attitude because when she left, I was not liking her at all. Very stuck up, very into herself, um, thought she knew everything. Only kidding. No, she should be in. We'll be able to, uh, to surf around the news. So let's get to the big three.
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This letter shows, this email between two CIA directors to try to create a political outcome in an election. 51 people signed this letter without an iota or shred of evidence that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. That is John Solomon uh, talking about details emerging, how they collected those 51 signatures and how it was just a text message that had John Brennan sign off on it. Mike Morrell wrangled. It could have been under the auspices. We're trying to get confirmation this of Anthony Blinken at the time. It is nuts. Also, some tension now between uh, Hunter Biden's lawyers and the White House lawyers. Go figure. Number two. Something needs to give. Um, it would be nice if he just uh, enforced the law using a law that Bill Clinton signed into law, uh, which allows for the Border Patrol to do what's called expedited removal. Yeah, Senator Cornyn, it's about to blow. I'm talking about the border. Title 42 about to end. Thousands already streaming in while a Hail Mary save is proposed by Senator Cinema and Tillis. Your move, Joe. Number one. I do want to acknowledge how horrific it was to view a video of Jordan Neely being killed uh, for being a passenger on our subway trains. No one has the right to take the life of another person. Unbelievable. Uh, Governor Hochul, no question, this Marine is a hero. That's how I characterized the 24-year-old who grabbed that crazed maniac on a New York subway earlier this week. That didn't stop the New York governor that you just heard and protesters for calling out the 24-year-old that saw what was happening and put him to a submission hold. Sadly, they lost his life. What they want is George Floyd, too. They better not get it here in New York. Shannon Bream, anchor of Fox News Sunday, Fox News chief legal analyst, author of The Love Stories of the Bible Speak, Biblical Lessons on Romance, Friendship, and Faith. And there's a special offer. At the end of this, we'll get it on Mother's Day. Shannon, I know you're getting ready for your show, but did you happen to notice the protesters taking protests taking root in New York yesterday? I did notice some protests. And listen, before I get ready for my show, I'm always getting ready for your show. Oh, this Saturday. Show, the show you do on Saturday, I get very excited about all of that. And I know you're going to talk about this. So odd to me that somebody would say got killed for riding on the subway because this is tragic. This person was talking about the governor, right? Suffering. Right. I mean, this person is suffering. No one wants to see this person die. But. I have been on a train before my very first week riding the subway in D.C. when I was an intern eons ago, and there was a guy saying to me, I'm going to kick everyone in the head. I'm going to get everyone on this train. I was terrified. It literally is the first time I was riding the subway here, and I'm looking around thinking, like, is anybody going to help me? Like, this guy I think might be crazy. And sure enough, when we got to the next stop, everybody jumped up around me and forced this guy off the train. Nobody heard him, but they stepped up. And my fear is that somebody who's trying to be a good Samaritan and protect other people will end up with criminal liability. Um, I don't think he had any criminal intention. He probably, it was, it sounds like a similar situation to what I was facing where this guy was threatening people. He was not well, and I'm sure he didn't mean to end his life, but he meant to subdue him to protect other people. And if we lose sight of that, we're lost. You know, I, we show this video with this woman on two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and she, uh, we see her getting thrown into a wall two or three times, kicked in the head. She lost her sight in the left eye just because she was going to work uh, actually going to work out, and some guy decided he just wanted to beat her up. He didn't know her, never saw her before, just saw an easy target. And you see one guy walk over, and the guy uh, just thought better of it and walked away. 
and then she continues to get beat up. So she lost that vision in her eyes. There's constant headaches and ringing in the ears. Nobody stepped up. Now, this 24-year-old sees this guy. Everyone admits it. Get on a, pl- a subway, the F train, at a time in which it's not packed and starts screaming, threatening, saying, I don't care if I go to prison. I don't care if I die. He's berating people, throwing garbage at them. And this guy locked him up in a submission hold. And then he was so out of control, two other people grabbed his arms. You don't get someone in a submission hold to kill them. Sadly, right. cut off the breathing. Whatever happened, we don't know the details. But listen to what they want to see happen. Listen to the protests in the street last night. Cut four. Well, we got something for y'all. New York City is going to be a very uncomfortable place. Uh-huh. That's right. If we don't get Jordan, if we don't get justice for Jordan Neely, civil disobedience, That's right. whatever we got to do, right. take it to the streets, shake it up, tear it up, right. whatever we got to do right. to make them get the point. They're taking this this guy whose own aunt says he's schizophrenic and violent, who spent time in jail recently for punching an older woman in the face so hard she has brain damage. And you're going to tell me that you, this guy's going to be charged? And you know Alvin Bragg is going to charge him at some point, Shannon. I think he's going to have a real mess on his hands if he does. This guy's a former Marine who was trying to protect other people. Um, And New York does have statutory language about not only defending yourself, but the defense of others. And I think, you know, if there are witnesses to this scene and others who were there, and there were others who had their hands on this guy that were trying to help as well, um, not all of them were white. If we want to make this a race issue, this man clearly was struggling. It is heartbreaking. It is terrible. But you point out his lengthy criminal record, and it's hard to imagine – who failed him more? I mean, should he have been on the streets? Should he have been out where he was able to harm other people and himself and get harmed? I mean, I think they're, you know, it, I understand how people are frustrated and they are angry over this man losing his life. I think everybody should have some of those feelings, but you have to track back where the problems are and, and what got him to this place and into that situation where he ultimately did lose his life. It's unbelievable. So you are a lawyer. I'm not going to play a lawyer cut, but I did talk to a former DA this morning, and they said, I don't see any way he's not going to get charged. So I think he's going to spend a day in jail. No. But when his name gets out, could be later today, mm-hmm. you know that his life is never going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Yet he did the right thing. Most people say, I don't need it. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to get off the next stop. I'm on that. I'm on that literal train on a regular basis. It's in the basement of our building. So if you have to make a quick train with mm-hmm. this new schedule we have here, you're going to mm-hmm. sometimes wait 45 minutes. So even if it's a nice day, I'm like, you know, get on a subway. I can't tell you how many psychos have gotten on, and you either see them shirtless, laying without shoes on, mm-hmm. laying around, go God knows what drugs, or you see them belligerent, and you say to yourself, "I think it's gonna, I think this is something's going down here." But I, I got to give credit to Eric Adams. While everyone's yelling at him, mm-hmm. he said this. We cannot just blatantly say, blatantly say what a passenger should or should not do in a situation like that. We should allow the investigation to take its course. So, and he is. Uh, so I got to give him credit for that. Yeah. Uh, Shan- yeah. And having been a law enforcement yeah. officer himself, he knows. You got to wait for the rest of the story. Shannon, I don't know how close you found the laptop story, but when it came out last night, the text message exchange between John Brennan and Michael Morell, when he basically said, hey, we're looking for a narrative for help that will help Biden out for the debate and helping him out. Yeah. Would you sign off on this laptop being disimpression, disinformation? John Brennan goes, thanks for asking. Put my name down there. Good luck. Good idea. I mean, the guy would put He's a CIA director without even seeing a laptop. Would just agree to it to help an election. All everybody's worst fears. 
have come forward as Michael Hayden, uh, Leon Panetta, and you see John Brennan, who all ran the CIA, dealt in on that, which leads Joe Biden to say this. And you might not want to jump there, but this is a flat out lie. Cut 16. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. They have said that this is has all the care Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. He knew it was his son's laptop. He knew the exchanges were real. He knew it was Devin Archer who he'd played golf with and his son and pictures. And yet he stared into the camera and said that. Shannon, and that's our president. Listen, you know how campaigns are. People will say what they have to say to win. A lot of promises they don't keep and a lot of things they maybe do or don't believe. What I think is interesting is that the House is now subpoenaing more people who are attached to this. Um, They want more information from folks like Clapper and Brennan and others about how this thing came together and why they signed on, what they knew, what they didn't know, what they were willing to attest to based on what they did or didn't know. So I think that – Whether they comply will be very interesting if this turns into a bunch of court battles. But clearly some House GOP members are very interested in getting to the bottom of this and hearing from these people directly who maybe thought, we're going to sign on to this letter. You know, their idea is let's help boost Joe Biden, who we want to win the presidency. And then we maybe will never have to talk about this again. But clearly they're going to have to. Today, uh, as we switch gears, Mayorkas will speak to Brownsville, Texas, the latest epicenter of all the border crisis. They say the evaporation of Title 42 in a matter of days, the surge has already started. We've sent 1,500 soldiers there, uh, but they're overwhelmed. Operation Lone Star in Texas and their own private sheriffs in Arizona have their hands full. Border Patrol is overwhelmed. This is what Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said yesterday, cut 14. Our poor Border Patrol agents who would like to do their job of law enforcement, they're, they're reduced to being hotel clerks. Uh, we have criminals crossing the border on a regular basis committing murder, rape, carjacking, brutal gang violence all over this country. And this president does nothing about it. He, and he even says these 1,500, they're there to help, to help these people cross into America. This president has a stone-cold heart. They're they're just boiling over with anger. Senator Cinnamon Tillis are pitching a two-year border patch uh, as the Trump mm-hmm. era policy about to expire. They say they want to give the administration a two-year temporary expulsion authority for migrants attempting to illegally enter the U.S. without inspection and proper documents. We got to do. You'd have to pass that almost right away. Does that have any legs? You know, it's bipartisan, and it's a pretty beefy measure that, you know, not a lot of that comes through the Senate right now. So it will be interesting to see whether it has enough support on the Hill. Um, There is agreement, Democrats and Republicans alike, that the border is – the situation is untenable there right now. I mean, people don't agree on how to solve it. They've both been in charge, Democrats and Republicans, and not gotten it done. But the fact that they have this measure in place saying, like, all right, Title 42 is going away. This would give us the same kinds of tools to try to manage the border, whether you liked President Trump or not. He did have numbers down at the border, and Title 42 was one of those things that he used. So you almost can see how the administration would sign on to this as well if they can get it through Capitol Hill, because it would give the president tools to try to control what's going on down there, at least a little bit, because it is going to look very bad for him when Title 42 lifts this week. We have seen months and months and months of numbers that are above levels, record levels that are skyrocketing. It's been exponentially worse and increasing under this administration. So 
when you have Democrats calling that out along with Republicans, there's a real problem. And I think right. it's only going to get much worse. I know. Uh, we're not going to see. It. We thought the Haitian bridge was a big story, and it was. I think it's going to mm-hmm. be bigger. Shannon, who's on your show Sunday? Well, Governor Greg Abbott, Texas, uh, is exclusively with us to talk about this. And also Congressman Cuellar from Texas, a Democrat who's been asking for a ton of help. He doesn't agree with the uh, governor on everything. So where are they together to get something done? Where do they differ? Um, And we're also going to talk about the debt ceiling also with Congressman Cuellar and also Jody Arrington, who is a Republican. He is the chair of the House Budget Committee. We got this big meeting this week at the White House with Democrat and Republican leaders from Congress. Can they actually move together, get anything done? because the clock's ticking. Uh, so you have a special for people thinking about buying your book on Mother's Day. Oh, yes. Thank you for mentioning. Okay, if you buy Love Stories of the Bible Speak right now, keep your receipt, because then you can go to 1-800-Flowers, and you'll get 20% off if you want to also send your mom flowers. So keep your book receipt for Love Stories of the Bible Speak. I've got all the information on my social media out there, how to go to uh, 1-800-Flowers and get your 20% off. And then you've got to take her to brunch or do something with that extra cash. I know, but if you haven't made reservations yet, I'd say, well, you still have time. Chocolate. You... Buy chocolate. Never go wrong with that. Really? Okay. You would know. Yeah. Um, I would. Shannon, I can't thank you enough. Uh, best of luck Sunday. You're going to have a lot going See, on. Saturday night first. Saturday at 8. That's true. i got to remember to promo my own show. Do it. All Be right. there. Maybe even in your open monologue, you could say, you know what? I can only Based hope on this what... show is half as good as that 8 o'clock show from the Based night before. Based on what I gleaned last night from COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been taking notes. Go get them, Shannon Bream. Okay, bye. 1-866-408-7669. Then we'll enter in the Carly Shimkus making a special appearance for you. That's how much she loves you guys. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We are back. Uh, what a, uh, this has been a very intense show, I feel like, um, personally. Uh, Shannon Bream, is great to have her on. Carly Shimkus in a matter of moments, and then we have a few more minutes. But I was talking about what's happening at the border. Listen, when I read those border stories, it gets me so angry. I want to skip them, but I can't because what's happening now, I, six million people have already entered this country illegally. The country's changing before our eyes. They might be the greatest people. They might, you know, I understand if I'm in Venezuela, I want to leave. But now people are leaving because they hear that this is one time or a chance in a lifetime to get in, and it'll take 10 years to be seen. To talk about what's going on at the border, uh, so Mark Esper weighed in, former Secretary of Defense. Remember, he was part of the regime that repurposed defense money to secure the border. So uh, here's what he's saying troops will do. Not National Guard, troops, cut 13. The bottom line is border security is national security, and we need to secure the border. And the irony here is if, that the, if the CPP was adequately funded and resourced, and if we had finished the border wall, uh, there wouldn't be the need for troops to deploy to the border. And this is the irony of the entire situation here. But uh, look, you have a situation now where six to 8,000 people a day are crossing. Uh, we think by when Title 42 ends next week, it'll be over 10,000. John, that's well over a quarter of a million people a month crossing illegally into the United States. And we don't know who they are, what they're doing, what they're carrying, so forth and so on. And and this is not in anyone's interest. My hope is you're going to look around in Illinois, Chicago. You're going to hear the stories of the illegal immigrants. Do you know we're getting two more busloads in New York? I think that was before 10 a.m. today, which means it's going to be more from El Paso coming in the afternoon because El Paso is getting 1,000 a day. 
You know how small that town is? Did you see this video? I was on with the mayor on Monday, and we split the screen with El Paso. It was unbelievable. It looked like a human bus just over overturned and a bunch of human beings literally laying, walking or laying on top of each other. And then they're filling up the airports because they have nowhere to stay, and it starts raining. They have nowhere to go. And you really can't keep people out of the vestibule of an airport. I don't think. They're worried about being sued, perhaps. And now my hope is that people understand that this isn't an opinion. He has absolutely opened up the border. Mayorkas is a is a embarrassment to this nation. And now you have even Senator Sinema, Senator Kelly, you have Henry Cuellar, some Democrats who don't want to lose their election. Uh, Senator Brown over in Illinois, excuse me, Ohio. They're starting to weigh in and say this is this is not tenable. This can't stand. But you're allowing it to happen. So here is uh, Sabrina Singh on the decision to put troops on the ground. She's press secretary for the Pentagon. Cut 12. There's not an anticipated interaction between our personnel that are going down and the migrants there. Um, Their responsibilities are are strictly back of house or mainly back of house uh, or back of warehouse, I should say. Um, They'll be doing data entry and monitoring and helping with surveillance capabilities. But the intention is not for them to be interacting with migrants. For, For that, that would be more of a DHS role. Think about this. You join the military to keep our country safe. And then he puts you to the board. Go, okay, never thought I'd go there. And then they go, don't interact with anybody. What I want you to do is fill out this piece. You set up, get your graph paper out and just chart how many people are coming in and put that arrow straight up in the air. Or maybe you could do an intake and find out how, how tall these people are and how much they weigh and what their interests are and what country they're from. That's why you join the army with camouflage and face paint to do clerical work at the border. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we are back, everybody. Welcome back, Brian Kilmeade Show. We're thrilled to have back in studio one month prior to her coming back full time where we can start giving her benefits again because, you know, when uh, when people have babies here, we cut them off and we basically say you're on your own. And when you're ready, call us. I'm only kidding. That's not the Fox policy. It's just the opposite. Carly Shimkus is back. Hello. Should I not speak up? Because Brock is here. Your yeah, Brock is in studio How old with is Brock us. now? Uh, 13 weeks. Beautiful little little man. Thank you so much. Yeah, he is uh, seated right next to me in his stroller. He's Staring awake, though. Yeah. He's not so letting you can, out of his sight. We don't have to speak in muted tones. We, we don't? Can now, no, now we can speak like actual volume. I thought the funniest thing about the baby is like, yeah, I've already picked a name, but my mom said doesn't like it, so I don't really tell her. <laughs> And then I I'm like, hope she's this. not listening right, right now. Right? But, <laughs> yeah, that was the whole thing. Uh, she I, didn't really like the name, I but knew, I love the name. Thank you so much. Um, I just, I knew the second that I, I always liked Brock, even before I got pregnant. I was like, I bet you that's going to, I think that's going to be the name of my first son. Um, and I mentioned it to my parents and my sister, and they were all like, <laughs> so I was like, well, that's what it's going to be. So we were going through other names and I was like entertaining ideas. But in my head, I was like, that's not what it's going to be. But after he's born and they see him and his name is Brock, they can't say anything negative about it anymore. You know, he's going to be a quarterback. I, well, like most, I think most that Brock's my husband would be very happy with that. Like, was he a football player? He oh, was, he's soccer. Yeah. was, No, he's... no, he played football. He, he played, played football, football? In, in college. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I also liked the name Bear, but my husband doesn't like that. Bear? Yeah. That's like a nickname. Um, that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> or he says, like, it's the name of a dog. It's like but, Chip. But, like, what about like, Bear you know Bryant? Whatever. 
Yeah, that's a nickname. That's well, not his real name. Yeah, but he's hey, known. Pete, what's as Bear, Bear Bryant's Bryan. real name? You get. I bet you it's Bear. It's like no one's named Chip, Mi- <laughs> right? Like or Mugsy. Well, the Chip Chip the Mug was from Beauty and the Beast. Right, fictional. Mm, that's true. Right. Okay. Yeah. Bing- Weak point. Paul. So is, uh, Bear Bryant's first name was it's Paul. Yeah, Paul Bear Bryant. I should have known that. Yeah. I like the name Bear, and you could spell it not like the animal, like B A H R, like the paint. You really anyway. Think? So if, if wait a second, <laughs> if you are gonna have, have a second uh, one, I really want to name him Bear, but right. I won't tell you because you don't like it. Uh-huh. So <laughs> no, I find it. I find it fascinating. I I've never even it. heard that batted around. Really, I just <laughs> something about it. I just think it's cool. Have you met somebody who's Bear? Um, you know, you had a guest on Fox and Friends that he was a Bear Grylls. Okay, Bear Grylls. Yes, yes, Bear Grylls. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if that's a nickname or his actual name. Um, but m- remember the teenager who made golf gloves and yes, his name, his name was, was Bear. Bear. Yeah. No, it's so interesting. Do you ever hear those commercials like you're becoming your parents? Yes. And love they those. say you you focus on. You focus on things that don't matter. Yeah. So you go to tell a story. I think the last one out is says, "Yeah, I was I was coming. I was uh, I was in traffic. I think it was a Tuesday. I'm not sure. It might have been a Monday. Too. And <laughs> I, I feel really... I feel like I'm bringing you to that place. Oh no! You might be your parents. Well, you like, know, it's I should have just let. It's gonna be bare. It's, we should yeah. just move on. Wait, but really quickly on the name thing and parents. Yeah. So I, the other name that I was sort of considering was Barrett, and my dad was like, "You can't name him Barrett. They'll call him Barrett the Ferret." And I'm like. Wow. If that's the worst he gets, I think it's okay. <laughs> well, it's like you 1950s. Do to, you do have to think it, yeah. That's not insults, too bad. yeah. So, uh, Carly. Yes. You've been following everything. No one's more well-read as you, but you have to make choices. So yes. I have not discussed AI yet, and because there's so many questions and intrigue about it, uh-huh. what if we touched on that now? You want to talk about artificial intelligence? Yes. I would love to. You would? Yeah, sure. Don't little, ask me any hard-hitting questions. I've been taking care of a baby for the past. I felt nervous as I was asking you out. You're like, yeah. do, you, do you mind if I bring this up? I was a little nervous. Uh, so uh, actually, it's going to be the lead on One Nation on Saturday because there's so many questions about it and so many smart people are intimidated about what it could be. Uh-huh. And knowing that you have Elon Musk and I think 22 other leading scientists who said, let's wait, yes. pause this. But China's not waiting, so we can't pause it. It's not even – to me, it shouldn't even be on the table pausing it. But I would love the idea of setting up some type of guardrails about it, whether it's imitation. For example, the Wall Street Journal had this story about how this woman, did the reporter, called up her parents yeah. with a fake voice that imitated her and asked for the parents once heard that – he goes, Dad, can I have your Social Security number and, and can I have your banking number? And he gave it to her. Jeez, Louise. And I, you can't even tell the know, difference I, between them. I think that you're right about the China thing, but then it's also—it's just scary all around. And sometimes real-world problems don't have a solution. So you want to pause. They don't have a solution. You want to pause. Um, I don't know. Have you ever paused I, anything in your life? I don't know if I do. I don't. I don't know if I want to pause. I, I think I went. I think that the solution or the best possible scenario would be all countries pause. But if that's not going to happen, yeah. then we need to be realistically ready. Uh, the one story on on the AI front that I thought was really scary was how scammers are calling people's parents, like parents of children, and using uh, artificial voices that sound like their children. Yeah. But it's like a cry, like "Mom, help!" And uh, could you imagine getting oh, that phone call? You, you dro- yes, take every single dime in my bank account. And people are getting away with this right now. So they have uh, all these people leading AI innovators who are meeting with the person I want in charge of setting up AI policy. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, Kamala Harris. She's in charge of this. 
Uh, they didn't have a press conference after, which is totally unacceptable to me. You yeah. have the smart people there. Ask some questions. What are you afraid of? The CEO of Google. And the next time you see her on camera, she went to a record shop, and she talks about getting Louis Armstrong albums. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, here yeah, is yeah. Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple. Okay. Cut 27. Hopefully, they presented um, the dangers in a realistic fashion and not in a fashion of, oh, here's all the greatness. Let us go ahead and do everything we can because we'll make money on it. I don't think, you know, the economic view is the one to take. It's what can happen to individuals and people. And the doors are too open for misuse of data, especially with these deep fakes that, you know, fool you, trickery. Yeah, absolutely. The deep fakes. So what, what would Kamala Harris be doing if she's leading the AI issue she is going to be hearing them out and recommending legislation i understand going forward okay so that's an this is new in her rolodex too well they're trying to build her up yeah because joe everyone knows that joe's uh joe's not uh he's not dealing with a full day well i also think that it's interesting that it it wasn't an open and shut answer that she was going to be the vp going into his re-election campaign now she's here for good and yeah and then it it was just stated like it was always going to be the case i think that there would be a lot of backlash if they didn't choose her but she's not somebody that you can really i mean if they're trying to run her there's a lot of negative that goes along with that as well i mean she's just not a strong vice president, right. to say the least. Here is Steve Wozniak more, Cut 28. And artificial intelligence is only going to be at the perusal of humans. Now, there are bad actors in the human world that try to trick us and, like, fake out that uh, Jesse with his daughter's voice. Right, you know? right. And I, we're getting hit with so much spam, things trying to take over our accounts and our passwords, trying to trick us into them. They're getting they get cleverer and cleverer, and it's horrible to think that people are falling for it, and they are right and left. It pays for itself very easily. And and AI being you know the latest evolution of um, computers at our disposal is going to increase that. Yeah, it really is wild. Cause go, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, and I was just thinking that a problem that um, my generation is currently facing is social media and sort of the negative implications of that. And then it's like everything goes to the next level with the next generation. The next generation's issue is going to be AI. Real. And what that, yeah, what that happens, there could be problems with it that we don't even really know exist. But right. to your point about pausing, you can't really pause this because other countries aren't. And also, if you do pause this, then you you might pause finding solutions to the problems as well. Right. There's no doubt about it. So, yeah, I think he's – right now, that is Brock. This is his first time on camera, right? This is, yeah, is his first time and on camera. Is, and it's appropriate it's streaming. This is the right? – oh, yeah, this is the first time that his voice is on the radio as well. Right. It's great. I, and I saw and the wind-up. I was able to see over your shoulder. I thought it was going to be louder. Uh, because yeah. I saw the, the, the mouth is wide open, and I thought this is going to get this is going to melt yeah, the I'll, I'll smoke and no go. That's fine yeah. by me. Right. Oh, you know why? Because he is now uh, fascinated with the Brian Kilmeade show. Uh, it's kind of moving. It's kind of a moving anima- yeah, animation. Yeah. But he probably wants out. So yeah, I, I would say this now. If Carly, you could sit there and say, write an essay on U.S.-China relations. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. And next thing you know, you get two pages there, nine seconds. I know. And now if you get an A in this class, did you earn that A? So how will teachers know what is AI and what's an, you know actually the thoughts of a real person? I know. When they come in and they can't present it, yeah. they're going to have to present their stuff. And the implications of elections, too. Uh, you know, certain issues being spun a certain way because AI ultimately is programmed by people. I, there's There are so many 
uh, unique and scary facets to it. There's also going to be positive things that come of this, too. A lot of them. Yeah. Uh, some medical advancements, possibly. I think they're going to solve all problems. Uh, hey, Eric, we're going to take a timeout and come back. Can, can we find out if there's more to know? After that? We can do that? Great. Uh, Coley Shimkus is here. Her first appearance since claiming to have a child. Yes, I do. And now it's been verified. It has All been right? verified. And that, she's Show one month life. early just because she loves you guys so much. Exactly. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we are back. Coley Shimkus in studio just for you guys. One month early. That's how important radio is to her. And she has given, you have given Brock to who? Maria Donovan. Because? Because he was crying. So and I she's said, a good mom. Yeah, she has two kids. So <laughs> I ran out to the newsroom and I said, Maria, can you take care of, can you take care of Brock? Feed him. I got to go. She's and like, you did. Sure. And- yeah, she, he's in good hands. Um, just like say, don't forget to watch uh, One Nation Saturday at 8. Uh, one, amongst our guests, we're going to have Will Hurd on this whole AIA thing. We're also going to have Richard Dreyfus on. Cool. So that's going to be cool. That is going to be cool. And we have uh, many more guests. Uh, it's going to be great. Um, let's find out, Carly, if you still know how to do more to know. Ooh. More to know. Sponsored by Spirits Capital Corporation. Barreled whiskey is the cash cow of industry insiders. But now you too can invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. Go to caskdeeds.com. C-A-S-K-Deeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. All right, there you go. That's our sponsor. Let's find out. Go ahead. You go first, lady. All right. If your name is Kyle, consider making your way down to Kyle, Texas in May. The city of Kyle, located 20 miles south of Austin, Texas, is attempting to break the Guinness World Record with the largest same-name gathering. Wow. Cool. The current title holder is the town of, uh uh-oh, it's a place in Bosnia. Can't uh, pronounce it. <laughs> not at all. But so just if your first name or last name is Kyle, you go there and you can yep, set a record? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, the town saw 2,325 people named Ivan in 1917. So you just have to break that record. And then you you will be a part of the Guinness Book of World Records. I would not be surprised if they did that with Brock. How if about that? your name that? is Brock, uh, come to Massapequa. Right. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> it's going to be good for the bars. Yes. Next, listen to this. Okay. Seven-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady could walk away from his $375 million deal to call games with Fox, according to the New York Post. Quote, I've talked to a couple of people recently close to Brady, and I kind of feel like I'm going to be I'm going more than 49% chance he does it, 51% chance he doesn't. I don't think he wants to travel. I think Brady's a guy who, if he's in, he's all in. So if he's not going to be showing up day of games like Joe Buck and Trey Aikman do sometimes, he's going to be there early. If he's going to be doing it, it's going to be a four-day event. He shares his kids with Giselle. I think it's very important to him. He can make money elsewhere. What? That's he, what he says. Hold on. Andrew who, Marchand. Oh, Andrew Marchand right. writes for TV radio for Oh. Well, he doesn't want to travel. I mean, that's all he does. Right. Currently. So he's with, got, he, I think he's going to wait a year. Yeah. But he doesn't want to travel every week. But still, what's the big deal? Yeah. Well, he does have the Hertz thing going for him. Let's go. Those commercials. Oh, does he have Hertz? Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, the news of Brady potentially walking away from his contract is significant. Brady was originally expected to join the Fox broadcast team in 2024. Here's the problem. Kevin Burkhardt and Greg Olson are the number one team in sports. Greg Olson got, I think, the Emmy for the best color commentator. Greg Olson does a very good job. So you know, right? Yeah. So not only great tight end. He this did, guy was out there calling. He did a Super Bowl, right? Yeah, USFL. Mm-hmm. He guy loves it. Yeah. So he put as much work into that 
and it's going to be tough to break up that team. And now, do you want to go in if you're Kevin Burkhardt and be with Tom Brady? After a while, it doesn't uh, matter if yeah. you're Tom Brady. you got to be as good as Greg Could Olson. there be room for both of them? I mean, Tom Brady no. would be incredible for Fox, and he'd be an incredible announcer. Oh, I don't give up on him yet. Yeah, I, I agree. I, don't, I think that's poppycock, and he's coming to Fox. Next. Uh, eating insects is great for your gut health and our planet. A study says, explained by uh, Colorado State University, argues bugs are actually a smart choice for dinner. Huh. Scientists report both the chitin uh, and healthy fats gained by eating insects appear to contribute to healthy gut micro... micro... Microbes? No. Micro... Biota. Well, I think we should focus on the gist, and the gist is uh, <laughs> bugs are good for you. Forget Wait, it. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I've that. forgotten how to do this. Um, but but I just want to say what just in case anybody is thinking about dinner plans later: beetles, caterpillars, wasps, wasps, bees, ants, and grasshoppers, as well as termites, are all supposed to be a good part of a balanced diet. There's no way that's real. <laughs> it's is according it? to Colorado State University. Well, all right, uh, I'm not buying into that. I will not buy, be ever having bugs. Okay. All right. Next, I've eaten them before. Revised Nielsen numbers have upped the viewership for Super Bowl. Uh, on Fox. So now it's 115 yeah. million. Now it seems like the sport's popular. You go. Okay. Uh, Zoo in Blackpool is hiring people to dress up as birds to scare away seagulls. Blackpool Zoo uh, posted the advert, I guess this is British, uh, for seagull uh, deters after a spate of food theft from visitors uh, in the enclosures. One time I was at the beach and a seagull stole my entire sub sandwich. And, like, was flying very low because it was so heavy. Yeah. I couldn't. It was, we're, it was we're, one of the most unbelievable things I've ever New Jersey seen. or New York? New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. I expect are... it from New York. Uh, but yeah. I wouldn't expect it from really? New Jersey. Really? They're more polite? Yeah. They're, they're more much, polite across the river? Very aggressive in New York. <laughs> they're, they're kind of annoyed we're here, yeah. the Seagulls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next, I love this. The actual bar from Cheers and the set of Johnny Carson's Tonight Show are among the thousand items available in a massive... Uh, action of TV memor- a massive auction of TV memorabilia. Among the items, the Cheers, as I mentioned, uh, Barbarian's famous I Dream of Genie outfit, Superman, Batman, Star Trek series, as well as another full sets. I love this, don't you? I love it too. I want to get the Tonight Show. Yeah. How great about, would that I like be? The, I like Cheers, and that's the greatest theme song. Just of all a great time. bar. Yep. Absolutely. I want everybody to know my name. It reminds me of that's true. <laughs> Remember? Do you watch Seinfeld? Yes. Do you remember when Kramer got the Merv Griffin set? And every time someone walked into his apartment, there would be <laughs> yes, guests on his show. That's incredible. That, to me, is fantastic. That's what you want? Yes. Uh, you have the last story? Or I did do. You... I do. This one's uh, going to be a little complicated to read, but the headline is, Vape-loving royal fans can now suck on King Charles' sausage fingers. That's what it says. I'm strictly reading it. <laughs> King Charles III sausage fingers, as he jokingly describes them during an Australian tour in 2012, have become rather infamous with many wondering why they look the way they do. Hmm. Okay. If you've ever gone a step further and fancied sucking on his so-called sausage fingers, however, a leading e-liquid company has just the coronation memorabilia for you. Shall I continue? I can't sum no, it up. I haven't I read got it enough. before. We now know more. Okay. Thank you for the most <laughs> awkward reading ever. I didn't choose this story. I'm just reading the paper in front of me. All right, Carly. First off, tell everyone, how do you like being a mom? Oh, my gosh. It's been the most incredible 13 weeks of my life. Right. Being away from us is very important. Oh, well, no, I watch Fox and Friends every morning. I, I honestly feel like uh, I'm still there. I watch your every single move. So you're still I up to sti- oh, you're still up to date on what's going yeah, on. Yeah, usually uh, always the seven eight o'clock hours. Sometimes. 
6.30 on. Understood. Yeah, you know. And you know the hardest thing about being a mom? Well, he he's such a good baby. I can't really... No say, problem. No. Right. He's, he's given me two-hour naps. He's sleeping 10 hours throughout the night. It's unbelievable. There's no bad, Brian. There's no bad. And you get to live with your husband now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're a one big happy family. That's great. Carly Shimkus, oh, thanks so much. Good to be back. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.